0: Hey there, I'm Bob Gresh, and people, women and men, are loving my wife's book that goes by the same title of this podcast, Happily Even After.
1: I've read this book, I've highlighted, I've underlined, I've put stars by it, and this is a book that is going to be very, very practical and very helpful for you, regardless of your exact circumstance. You will be really blessed with this one.
0: But as with everything we do, Dana and I seek the critique. And when we did that for this book, we found something we wanted to strengthen. We caught Dana processing out loud about this when we were on Zoom with my counselor.
2: Um, All right. Let's talk about abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women are writing to me, some of them with just queries. Some of them are angry that I have stayed with Bob through this. And they don't think that my book adequately uh, helps a woman know when this has gotten abusive. So I'm trying to wrap my head around how to navigate that. Like, When do you call it abuse? At what stage? When do you say, yeah, this is too abusive, so you can't be together, at least until one partner wakes up and says, I'm willing to do what I need to take to be a healthy partner. Um, Help me navigate that.
0: We want to help you navigate whether or not abuse is a factor in your relationship, It's serious business. And you'll learn about five red flags that could be signs that your marriage is not just difficult, but destructive. We'll also introduce you to two important experts in the field of abuse. They could be very useful to you in your marriage if those red flags are present in your relationship. And Dana will tell you why some books and podcasts on relationships should come with warning labels.
3: This is the Happily Even After podcast. Bob and Dana Gresh are raw, real, and honest. Their guests are wise experts in the work of marriage recovery. Some have degrees in therapy and psychology. Others learn their lessons on the hot pavement of life. All of them will tell you the truth. What you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Oh, and by the way, you can live happily even after.
0: So this episode started when Dana was scrolling through social media.
2: Yeah, I was on social media recently, and my eye was drawn to a comment on my feed from a woman named Nicole, who, unknown to me, posted concerns about happily even after, not this podcast, but the book, on her Facebook page. To her credit, she took the opportunity to tell me in the comments of my post. So I reached out to her.
0: Yeah, that's kind of protocol for us here at pure freedom. When someone writes or DMs us with a concern, as much as possible, particularly if they're demonstrating in a constructive way, we reach out to learn more. It's one of the big things we do.
2: Yeah. So I did that. Nicole hadn't read my book, but had heard an interview I did for it. She then noodled around at danagresh.com and was concerned that some of the marketing on that page might not adequately help a woman know when her husband's battle with less than pornography has gotten to something that's abusive. Now, I'll tell you specifically what bothered her later in this podcast and what I'm doing to address it. But anyway, I ended up having a few phone conversations with Nicole to learn more. These were healthy, honest dialogues. Nicole's a woman who's been to seminary, has a truly brilliant mind, and loves Jesus like crazy.
0: Did her husband battle with lust and pornography?
2: Yeah, yeah, He, but she listened to me talk pretty openly about your responses to me through our journey and my responses to you, and she was like, well, you don't have the same marriage. My husband denied it. My husband blame shifted, things like that, as I recall, and she recognized her experience was more abusive than the experience I've had with you, and she also told me that learning to honestly classify her husband's behavior as abuse, well... When she did that, she was able to start to get the right kind of help, the help that she really needed. And what about her husband? Well, he too was able to get the right kind of help that he needed to break some patterns that were really unhealthy for his life.
0: Well, it's great to hear that. So let's have a brave conversation to begin to consider whether or not what's been happening in your marriage needs to be categorized as abuse. This is pretty heavy stuff.
2: And Bob, I want to say this. Uh, It's not just husbands abusing wives. Sometimes the wives abuse the husbands. It could be that his pornography problem has been weaponized. I mean, I've actually worked with couples where the husband has not looked at porn for years, but there's a punitive handling of the topic. Um, There's still more healing. Your healing only goes as fast as the slowest person, but the wife is actually bringing... Some of those red flags, these red flags we're going to talk about, and one disclaimer, we're specifically addressing the issue of when a pornography addiction is accompanied by or escalates into an abusive marriage. And I can't talk about this topic at all without saying, no matter what kind of abuse you may be experiencing, we really encourage you to talk to someone, get help. Hopefully this podcast will help you know if you're somebody who needs to do that.
0: Dana, you and I have had several conversations on this topic because we're not experts on abuse. That's right. right? Uh, one person we talked to was my current therapist, Phil Herndon. You asked him, "When do you call it abuse?" If you think
4: about the word abuse as being a range or a continuum, it's not just a destination. Okay, now it's abuse. I'm leaving. Or well, okay, it's not abuse. I'm staying. Like it's it's more of a range or a continuum of when. A husband looks at pornography that is abusive, that is harming his wife, that's harming his marriage, it's a sin against God, it's idolatry. But I don't think many people would say, okay, well, your husband looked at pornography, now take off, though it's abuse. So being abused and leaving are not necessarily simultaneous acts, it's continuum, Mm -hmm. and so the husband is having an affair or affairs and he's in refusal to leave those things or that thing like that's another whole category so we have to be careful but or not careful but make sure we know what we're saying when we use a use the word abuse it doesn't mean it's not abusive, but it may not mean okay it's abuse so I go yeah it seems to me that
0: we don't have enough words in the language right now and that abuse is. A little overused. I'm looking at the definition now. It says to treat a person or an animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. And sometimes I think that there's a difference between abuse and just being a bad husband, being a person that is just not fit to be married to somebody else. It doesn't have to be called abuse. Yeah. You know? And I know that's not politically correct, but. I think our overuse of the word abuse is is minimizing it for those who have, are at the other range.
2: Have truly been traumatized. Right. Yes. Well, I think what your definition says here is especially regularly or repeatedly. Yeah. I think that's a big factor. Huge when factor. when it's there's just no effort whatsoever to stop harmful behavior and it's regular and repeated, then you're in another class, right? That's
4: right. That's exactly right. Now you're now you're being pulled into a system that is eating you up as well as your husband when the husband doing. you're you're being pulled into something that uh, is now causing you harm. And if he's not grabbing hold of something to get both of you out of that whirlwind, out of that vortex, Mm -hmm. it just continues. Something needs to be done for it to stop. And one of the rules of, one of the maxims in 12
0: steps is progress, not perfection. The other thing at play here is, is your husband progressing? Is he Mm -hmm. willing to have more and more boundaries? Is he getting into community deeper? Uh, Is he getting into 12 steps? Is he getting...
2: Is he therapy doing the things that make him worthy of trust because he's demonstrating progress? Yes. Yeah.
0: Because most of the things, most of the guys are gonna struggle with pornography, it will be repeat, repeated repeated yeah. in cycles. The question is, I think in our relationship, I wanted to beat this. I confessed, which is a big step to confess rather than be caught. Mm-hmm. And I was going deeper and deeper into my work Mm -hmm. the recovery work right and you saw
5: that Uh,
2: yeah everything's different now your brain's different your personality's different your sense of humor is back you're not as stern and severe like you were just sad you were sad or mad that Mm -hmm. volcano waiting to go off you never really did you weren't an eruptor I would say I had a few more eruptions than you did in this whole process. (laughs) But you were never an eruptor. Um, But you felt like you might because you felt so stern. And your joy is back. Your your personality is back. It's a good thing. Mm. What would you say, Phil, to the wife who is, she's recognizing maybe I am in an abusive pattern. Like I'm, I don't sound like my story isn't like Bob and Dana's. It doesn't sound... The same, something sounds off. What should she do if she's listening and she's like, how do I really know if it is abuse? And I need to take different steps here.
4: A safe, trustworthy woman to tell her story to, not for the purpose of getting her husband in trouble necessarily, but somewhere to go. Because here's another thing that happens too, Dana and Bob. The world reality becomes warped. And when this addiction cycle is in the house yeah, and everybody is off equilibrium and what's what. And so to find someone that's trustworthy, this friend, the same gender friend or a therapist, someone who, you know, is safe to talk to this about and say, this is my life and have someone say, hey, that's insane. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Something's got to happen here.
2: Right. You do need help. Yes. And you need it now. And we need to get you to a safe place. I mean, there have been women that I have worked with, and I'm not a therapist. I always tell them I can triage a little bit and help you find the right therapist, the right professional help. But your situation today is not safe. I think you need to go spend some time. Can you go spend some time with your mom? Or do you have a best friend you can go to for a week while we can figure out who you need to be seeing Yes. And how they can help and make the big decisions with somebody who knows more than me. Yes. But I'm getting that woman out of the house that day.
4: You bet. Because that's if she's still in there in these scenarios, if she's still in there, she's got a filter between her and reality that's not ever going to disappear until she's out of there and someone can help her see what's really happening.
0: Yeah. And the bottom line is don't Don't make any book your gospel except for the Bible. And the Bible is going to tell you, have a strong friend, have a truth-telling friend that can help you determine what's abusive and what's not.
4: There's a great scene in the movie, A Beautiful Mind, you know, Dr. John Nash, the mathematician, schizophrenic. He gives at the end of the movie, he gives this talk. And when they walk out of the building, he and his wife walk out of the building, he sees the redheaded guy that's been in all of his schizophrenic, episodes. He looks over, he looks at his wife and he says, he's not over there, is he? And she says, no, honey. He goes, okay. And they keep walking. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful picture what we're describing. Yes. Like go to someone who can see you clearly that you can tell the truth to. So that woman can say to you, Hey, that's crazy. You need to be away from that.
0: Okay, so for the record, we fact-checked that scene from A Beautiful Mind, which is one of my favorite movies, by the way. Mm -hmm. And Phil, he got the scenes conflated a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's right. Nash does see the redhead in the scene that Phil referenced, but he knows he's not real. I think Phil mixed that up a bit with the scene where Nash is ending a class and is approached by a colleague and to be sure his colleague is real, Nash asks one of his students, can you see him? She affirms that the guy is real. Nash says, are you sure? She giggles and says, yes. Then Nash turns to the colleague and says, I had to be sure.
0: So with all that explanation, the point is we wanted to keep it in here because he made a very poignant comment that still stands, Phil did. So we kept it, conflation and all. Because the bottom line is this, we are all like John Nash in some ways, in that we need help being objective about the facts.
2: For some help with that objectivity, how about we listen to this from Lisa Turkhurst. She was interviewing Leslie Vernick.
5: Well, hi, Leslie. It is such an honor and honestly a joy to have you with me on the podcast today. I'm so excited. And one of the main motivators that I had in wanting you to come on the podcast. Besides the fact that you're very brilliant, you've been working in this field for many, many, many years. You've helped thousands upon thousands upon maybe millions of women. Um, But the main reason is because you've helped me. And I am so grateful for how you helped me understand something absolutely crucial. And that is that there's a big difference between a difficult relationship and a destructive relationship. So let's start there.
6: You know, thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate that because, you know, one of the things that I struggled with was I was in a destructive relationship, not in my marriage, but in my childhood with my mom. And when I finally figured out that I couldn't change her, I wasn't sure how to handle that because how do you have a relationship with someone who continues to harm you, that doesn't care that they harm you, that doesn't apologize, that doesn't take any responsibility for the wrongdoing? Um, and I think Christianity and our teaching, especially as Christian women, has been a little bit heavy on the side of forgiving and forbearing and you know not keeping a record of wrongs. And I tried to do that with my mother, but it didn't improve the relationship. In fact, it depleted me. And so I began to start my own journey of, what does the Bible have to say about healthy relationships and good boundaries? And does it have anything to say about the other side of relationships, not just forgiving and forbearing, but does it say that we need to hold people accountable or speak the truth in love and uncover the unfruitful deeds of darkness. So that was my first personal journey into this whole topic. But then when I was writing my book, I had a clinical practice, I was a therapist, and I was writing my book on depression in women. And Lisa, I have to tell you that 95% of the women that I saw in my practice that were clinically depressed were in emotionally and physically destructive and abusive marriages. And I'm thinking to myself, is the best thing that we have to offer them is take antidepressants and go to therapy, but somehow you've got to keep your marriage together when it's killing you. It's destroying you emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes even physically. And so I began to dig deeper. And what does marriage look like? And what is the difference between all marriages that are hard sometimes? And I've been married a long time to the same person. It's been hard. And there's been hard times and hard years. But there's a big difference between a difficult marriage that has stressors, external, internal differences in personality or values. And you've got to work that through and a destructive marriage, which will deplete and destroy you if you're not aware that there is a huge difference.
5: So, Leslie, I know that you, like myself, you are a big proponent of marriage, and at the same time, it is important to acknowledge the underbelly that can happen that often goes very unaddressed. So talk to me a little bit about red flags that someone might be experiencing that maybe it's hard for them to identify, but that are evidences of some destructive realities in their marriage.
6: Yeah, so here are five red flags that I think, because I think women often don't have the words. In fact, oftentimes women have told me, thank you for putting this into words, because I didn't have the words to describe it, but I felt it. I felt it deep in my belly and my spirit.
2: Okay, let me jump in here because I actually can't play the entire podcast for you though I imagine you want to know what those five red flags are. We're going to tell you in just a second. And I encourage every couple battling porn and lust to listen to this podcast featuring Leslie Vernick. She's a popular speaker with over 30 years of counseling experience. That was her talking with Lisa Turkhurst on Lisa's podcast, Therapy and Theology.
0: Yeah, let's go over those five red flags now. One is feeling scared. Two, being controlled three, feeling confused, four, being regularly deceived, and five, being regularly devalued.
2: Yeah, those aren't things that should be present in a safe, healing, and growing marriage. And if you feel like any of those things are consistently happening in your relationship, you need to listen to that podcast and maybe follow Leslie Vernick to gain more understanding.
3: This podcast is brought to you by Pure Freedom and Moody Publishers.
0: Here's Bob Gresh. If you listen to me list those five red flags and thought, I think our marriage may be destructive. I think I have been abused. What's the first step a person in that situation should take?
7: Well, in some ways, she already took the worst first step. If she says, I have been abused, mm. that's the first step. Number one, even if you just say it to yourself, let alone somebody else, it takes courage to do that.
0: That's Dr. Diane Langberg, a practicing psychologist whose clinical expertise includes 50 years of working with trauma survivors. She speaks internationally on topics related to abuse, and she's someone you really want to get to know if your story involves abuse. Dana had the honor of interviewing her, and according to Dr. Langberg, Finding the courage to say, I have been abused, is your first step.
7: The second step is to be careful and find a safe place where you can sit with somebody who knows something about abuse and understands it and will walk with you. They won't lecture you. They won't give you three things to do over the next week. They won't do any of those things, but they will listen and walk with you so that you can find strength and courage to face it and healing as you do.
2: Let's talk about hope. Is there hope for a woman who's experienced abuse to really heal? I mean, really, really be well again. Can you tell us the story of someone um, anonymously, of course, that you have watched heal? Well, I have
7: watched many women and men heal. It is a slow, hard process. Um, It requires courage and uh, just determination to go forward. Um, When it hurts so much and you want to stop and you just want it to go away. But I have watched men and women face the truth of what happened, begin to understand the truth about what happened and also begin to name what it has done to them and begin to take steps that are healing for them, which is different for every individual. Um, But I have seen men and women who then, first of all, get some sense that God is not an abuser. This was not Mm -hmm. his idea. He didn't sanction it. He loves them. And he bears the scars of the abuse that was done to them because that's Mm -hmm. part of what he carried on the cross. Mm. And They also mm. realized, they began to realize that he gave them gifts. He gave them, he gave them strengths. They wouldn't be talking about it if he hadn't done that, number one. But two, he's given them gifts that will bring beauty into this world, will help other people, will strengthen others, and that they are worthy of those and worthy to use them
2: as as I have counseled with friends a lot of times sometimes they'll have sicknesses joint pain or ailments that they didn't ever realize were associated with their body holding the shame and the pain of this abuse and when they started therapy when they started counseling when they started healing suddenly these physical maladies started to quiet down is there a connection
7: well, there's certainly not a hundred percent connection, but absolutely there is. I mean, abuse happens to a body. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it it happens to a mind. It happens to the heart in terms of emotions and things, but it happens to a body. And there are often, particularly if it's ongoing abuse, uh, you know, chemicals in the body that are reacting to what's going on, to the fear and the harm and everything else yeah. that hurt the body. And learning how to take care of the body as you deal with the abuse, how to bring beauty into your life, how to bring quietness to the body um, and let it be safe for the first time Uh, can be very healing, but it's hard work and it can be slow, um, but it happens.
2: It does happen. I've seen it happen in some of my friends lives. Um, I want to also encourage that uh, there's, there's a lot of room for someone with, um, some, some level of clinical expertise to help you because it is such a complex process. And then there's room for your friends to be the listening ears. But don't you think that a woman who's experienced trauma probably needs both? Um, yes, absolutely. And, uh, would have to say, I
7: think back to one situation was a very complicated situation with years and years and years of abuse uh, in a woman's life. And she became willing, which was extremely courageous, to allow three women from her church to walk with her in that process and gave permission for them to come and meet with me. And so we did. And we talked through abuse and what it does and what to expect and how to respond. And those women did that. For several years, they walked with this woman. mm. And they came back to me later to say how much they had changed.
0: I mean, so had she, but she wasn't the only one. As we said earlier, that's Dr. Diane Langberg, who's globally respected in trauma care and abuse, talking to Dana on Grounded, a videocast from Revive Our Hearts. And did you hear what she just said? If you've experienced or are experiencing abuse, you need clinically informed biblical care. So reach out and find that because the path to healing will be very difficult without it. Dr. Langberg also said, there is hope that you can heal.
2: Yep. In fact, the woman I mentioned earlier, Nicole, she and her husband just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Mm. Mm. I love that. Being brave to admit that the relationship had become abusive was not the end of their marriage, but the beginning of finding the right kinds of tools to heal it.
0: Of course. Dana, this is a slow, hard process. and, And I need to revisit something that Phil said earlier.
4: When a husband looks at pornography, that is abusive. That is harming his wife. That's harming his marriage. It's a sin against God. It's idolatry.
0: Anytime we violate our marriage vows by acting out on our lustful passions, that's abusive.
2: Yeah. And I would also say, though, that when I threw things at you because I was angry about your sin, that was abusive. And yet, I remember you just calmly said... I deserved that. And then you cleaned up the mess I made.
0: Well, I did deserve that. but the, You know, Dan, the definition of abuse is to treat a person or an animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly.
2: Yeah. You mentioned that earlier when we were talking to Phil.
0: It, it's hard for me to get past this definition without acknowledging a couple of things. One is the cycle of pain I introduced into our marriage. That was a real deal and it was cruel. And two as we discussed on earlier episodes, it impacted your body. Yeah, it did. I want to drill down into that for a few minutes. I've been fascinated by this, and it might help a guy out there see things more objectively when it comes to the damage he's done to his wife's heart and mind and body. That's, that's That's the thing. But also I want you to meet someone that will give you hope if your marriage is currently experiencing abuse, and her name is Charlene Steinkamp.
2: Charlene Steinkamp and her husband, whose name is also Bob, by the way, they separated several times throughout their marriage due to Bob's anger issues and his repeated unfaithfulness. Charlene sought the counsel of her pastor and counselors, who told her Bob would never change and she was justified to divorce him. After nineteen years of marriage, she did. My Bob and I sat down with Charlene to talk about her story and ours.
0: while back in our marriage, uh, things started to escalate, as they always do. And I felt like I was crossing boundaries, I didn't not want to cross. And I also saw um, an interesting thing. And that was, I could tell that there were times when I act out, I could see it affect Dana's health. And I thought that's ridiculous. I just, but there were Things I could measure very specifically that were happening to her, and I thought, "Holy cow! I, I brought this kind of spiritual warfare into the into the house." So before that, it was a little bit easier for me to say, "Well, it doesn't really affect her. This is—I still love her. This has nothing to do with her." It was a little, it was easier to justify that, and um, and then when I saw it affecting her actual health, I'd never heard of that before but I knew what was happening. And that's when I had to sit down and confess to a lot of things that um, had escalated.
2: When he talks about the um, physical stuff, I was being tested for lupus, for Lyme's disease, for rheumatoid arthritis, all kinds of, I mean, pretty serious, mostly um, autoimmune things because they just couldn't figure out why I wasn't well. And the research really indicates that when an individual is in a relationship where trust is betrayed, even if they don't know it, that the body has an inflammatory response to that it, it might just be like your husband's not making eye contact with you, or it might be that he's in the room physically, but not emotionally present. Or it could be um, if his behavior has escalated to an affair or something that he's not at the house when he should be. And you don't want to face it, you don't want to say this is what's happening he's looking at pornography again, or he might be doing something I could never have dreamed of. So you kind of deny it. Mm -hmm. But your body is reading the eye contact cues and the lack of present cues and, and trying to send you the message and say, hey, something's not right, something's not right. And the what the body does is it creates inflammation. Um, And there's really incredible research that anywhere from body pains and aches to uh, a lack of ability to overcome colds to even some forms of cancer are related to inflammation. And um, so that's what was happening in my body and we didn't know it quite yet, but what he was seeing also was that maybe there's also a spiritual component to that. I mean, we have the science that can say there's inflammation, dah, 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 da. We can make sense of it, right? But um, what we can't really understand is the spiritual ramifications of sin in a house. And I think that we saw that playing out.
1: It's so funny that you mentioned autoimmune disorder and lupus because I was diagnosed with autoimmune disorder and lupus Back when Bob and was going through all of this, identical same timing, and um, wow. it's it's really and I've I've had none of it since then. After you get through
2: Praise and God. you get the
1: the <laughs> you get the restored marriage and you get your marriage on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, God took it away. But you know, so mm-hmm. but it, so when you said that, I just thought, wow.
2: So I want to ask you a question. So you experienced healing in your body. I'm thinking of the Bible verse that says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean on on your understanding. And then it goes on to say, it will be healing to your flesh and oh, strength yes. to your bones.
1: Yes, I, I have.
2: Like you lived that out. I
1: have lived it out. Charlene
0: also saw the healing of her marriage lived out. Shortly after their divorce, Charlene heard the testimony of a couple with a restored marriage that was at her church. And God totally touched her heart when she heard that. And she began to pray for her marriage. This is the cool part. A couple of years later, Bob and Charlene were remarried. And they went on to have a healthy, happy, and safe marriage, and also founded a ministry called Fight for Your Marriage, which Charlene carries on even after Bob has gone to be with the Lord.
2: Yep. We believe in marriage. We believe God hates divorce. We also believe God hates abuse, and that not every marriage will overcome it. But many do. And an important step in winning the battle might be admitting there is abuse in your marriage. Okay, so I promised to tell you what it was on my website that bothered Nicole and what I'm doing to address it. I previously had and is happily even after for you section on the landing page for my book. Um, It listed many types of women who I felt the book was for. Nicole felt that that list described women who were in abusive relationships. So I took the list down. And why was that? Well, I think this kind of willingness is an essential security feature that must be in an author and a leader. A safe person isn't an infallible person. There aren't any of those. Rather, a safe person anchors themselves to the Word of God and is accountable to critique when that critique is reasoned and godly and eager to bring helpful change.
0: So, what about the book?
2: The book does include a disclaimer for women who are not in safe relationships, it is already in there. I sometimes refer to that as the warning label. I think books on sex and relationships should very much come with warning labels.
0: Yeah, why don't you explain that some more?
2: Because if an individual or a marriage is in a particularly difficult place, some of the things that worked for us might actually be harmful for that person or couple. So you've really got to proceed with caution. And that's why,
0: again, on every podcast, I say something like, you need clinically informed biblical care, and it's not all about the book. You need other advice. Right. Yeah, and we decided to do this because— we thought we could help more couples, and indeed we have been. But it's not all about the book. It's about encouraging people to get godly, clinically informed advice. That's right.
2: What I'm learning is that women sometimes don't know if they're not in a safe relationship. Um, so I'm working with my publisher to strengthen that warning label that's already there and maybe even add an appendix for women to take an inventory. I want to make sure they know about people like Leslie Vernick and Diane Langberg.
0: Yeah, I think this will probably be an ever-evolving thing, won't it, as yeah. society changes?
2: A- and as I learn and right, change. Right, mm-hmm.
0: You know, we really agree to communicate in the book that this is simply our story. Everyone's marriage is unique, Totally. And you'll run into things that we didn't. You've got to write your own plan of healing as you go.
3: Well, that's this episode of the Happily Even After limited series podcast with Bob and Dana Agresh. Be sure to check out the show notes at danagresh.com. If you don't already have a copy of Happily Even After Let God Redeem Your Marriage, get one anywhere you like to buy books. Episodes one through seven of this podcast support key chapters in that book. They contain conversation prompts to explore the seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption.
2: We hope this episode has been helpful in navigating a really difficult topic.
0: And that you'll take some time to dive more deeply into it. One thing we want to say is this. We asked a lot of counselors and experts in marriage for help navigating this particular topic. And we were kind of disappointed, right, Dana, in how some of them answered the questions. I think because it's a really hard question. define and what we decided is this it takes someone specially trained or experienced to help someone navigate abuse and do it really well so if you're asking for help from someone and are disappointed in the advice you're getting trust your instincts ask someone else
2: yep maybe start by reading some things by leslie vernick and diane langberg they'll get you started in the right direction and one last thing before we say goodbye today If you are in a difficult place but making some progress in your marriage or you want to help marriages out of the difficulty you've once faced, we have a special invitation for you. Join me, Bob, and our marriage counselor, Pete Kuyper, this September. We're going to the Dominican Republic for the Happily Even After Marriage Weekend. You'll be refreshed and equipped to pursue continued healing in your marriage. Learn more at danagresh.com and click on the menu for workshops.
3: The Happily Even After podcast is written by Bob and Dana Gresh. Original music and production by Blake Bratton. And thanks to Moody Publishers for underwriting this episode. Here's what's up next time.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So here's a hard thing, and women are asking me this question all the time. Uh, They're having a hard time with Competing with what he has seen in pornography. And they can't mentally get past that to enjoy being naked again in their own bed. What advice do you have oh, that for that one? That is
8: so common. Yes, that is so common. And it makes total sense. Would like to talk her out of that this isn't a competition because what he's been seeing isn't real. Mm -hmm. you'd have to go get you know a a few different jobs done before you can compete with that (laughs) because what they're seeing is not real Yeah. so you can't compete with the lack of reality and so you won't ever be able to compete with that what you're trying to do is establish something different and you may not be comfortable being nude at first until you really feel the intimacy and the closeness and the nudity You know, what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, when they felt the distance from God, what did they do? They covered themselves. And when we are intimate with each other, that's when we can be totally free with our bodies with each other.